I uh, want to begin with a little bit of bearing of my soul here this morning. Um, this isn't going to come as a surprise to anybody, I'm sure, but I, uh, I'm not infallible. I'm not all-knowing. As Peter said to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 26, I too am just a man. And as such, I make mistakes and I don't always react or respond or understand everything exactly as I should. There have been a lot of greater messengers of God than I myself will ever be who struggled with their own flaws and fallibilities and shortcomings and misunderstandings over the centuries. While I am blessed, more than only a very tiny percentage of people on the planet today because I get to spend so much time studying God's Word, I still don't always have every little infinitesimal element and every little iota of everything in the Bible uh, perfectly understood or even considered, but I, I am trying. I want to learn and I want to grow much more than I have, and I never want to knowingly mislead or misteach anybody anything about God or His Word. And so I'm going to ask you three things as we continue. I'm going to ask you, number one, <laughs> your continuing love and patience with me as I continue to try to seek to understand more of God's Word, just as I will seek to give to you who are seeking to learn His Word as well. I want you to please, as I've said so many times before, number two, as I seek to teach and, and give you the things that I have learned from God's Word, that you look them up and that you study them for yourself in the Word of God. Don't take my word for anything unless I can show you book, chapter, and verse. That's why I appreciate so many of you taking notes. And thirdly and finally, and this goes for elders and preachers and Bible class teachers who will probably hear these lessons online at a later date, if I have missed or misunderstood something in the Word of God, please let me know. And that goes for you too. Because the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. The bulletin this morning features several articles from an old 2002 Louisville, Kentucky bulletin. But there was another little blurb in it that kind of goes along with what I'm saying before we get into this morning's lesson. It had this little blurb in it. It said, The man who refuses to give honest consideration to teaching on any subject must, number one, believe that he is incapable of learning, or number two, think that he knows all there is to know on the subject, or number three, knows that he is wrong and does not intend to change. In our search for truth... May we be free from, number one, the cowardice that shrinks from truth that is new to us. Number two, the laziness that is content with half-truths. And number three, the arrogance that thinks that it knows all truth already. And none of us, myself included, or any of the rest of us ever want to be that. Instead, we need to be more like these selections from Proverbs that I featured in a lesson a couple of weeks ago. Just listen closely. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. 
Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And finally, in Proverbs 25 and verse 12, it says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. I always want to be considered by God as a wise man. Not a wise guy, a wise man. One who seeks God's knowledge. And I know all of you do too. So let us study together, learn together, work together, helping one another to an ever greater understanding of the greatest book that was ever written. The lesson begins. Last Lord's Day, we started a three-part sermon miniseries. And we looked last Sunday at the similarities and the differences between John's baptism and the Christian baptism of the Great Commission, or such as we see in Acts 2, such as we see in Ephesians 4, and the rest of the New Testament. And as we looked at the similarities, we saw that these two baptisms had several elements in common. Both were a burial or immersion in water. Both required belief in the gospel message preached. Both required confession and repentance and were for the forgiveness of sins and both were from heaven. These are similarities between the baptism of John or John's baptism and the New Testament Christian baptism of the Great Commission. And we discussed these at length. At length. We also saw that these two baptisms had some differences. John's baptism was for the Jews and called for them to believe in the one to come after John. Acts 13, 24 and 19, 4. But New Testament Christian baptism, as we saw and referenced, was for the whole world. Called us to accept the forgiveness offered in Christ's sacrifice who already died for us. Was in Christ's name and adds us to the Lord's church. And so there were differences. The other difference was that Christian baptism, as it says in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was one of the differences, because the Holy Spirit wasn't even mentioned in the context of John's baptism, but it certainly, as we talked about last week, is a benefit of New Testament Christian baptism. And so that's what we looked at last week. Similarities and differences between the two. And so this morning, in our third and final installment of this little sermon mini-series, we're going to seek to answer a question. Same as I said when I began last Sunday morning. And that question is, did those disciples who had been baptized with John's baptism need to be baptized again with the New Testament baptism of Acts 2.38? and etc. And segments of this answer may surprise you. As I said, when I was asked this question several weeks ago by one of you, what started this whole thing, when I was asked this question, my automatic answer, based on Acts 19, 1 through 5, which Edison read to us, was an automatic yes. Of course they had to be. And so you can imagine my surprise when I discovered some of the following things I'm going to relate to you. For example, on Brother Wayne Jackson's Christian Courier website, there was an article that said, were John's disciples required to be re-immersed? And it discusses this question. 
were those who were immersed by John the Baptist required to be re-immersed on or after the day of Pentecost? Now, I'm just going to read you some excerpts, okay? From Brother Jackson. He says, This question has generated much discussion. Some contend that John's disciples were obligated to submit to the baptism of the Great Commission. First, there is no clear definitive statement regarding this theme in the New Testament. Acts 19.1 and following certainly does not settle the issue. It is too ambiguous for that. Well... As I read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, I would kind of tend to disagree with him on that. But moving on, I, I don't know that it is too ambiguous for that. But at any rate, moving on. I love his next point, because this is critical. He says, second, this is not a matter that is crucial to anyone's salvation. It should not be debated hotly, nor should one's view be pressed. It is not a make or break issue. You know what? He's right. This is a big thing. This is, it is not an issue as to whether, no matter how we come out answering this question. It should not be something that divides the church. It's not that relevant to us today, whether they were or they weren't. Not those back then who had undergone John's baptism. And I love the way he put that, and he's absolutely right. Then he moves on and says this. We believe, however, that a strong case can be made. Notice he doesn't point you to a specific verse. For the view that John's work in preparing a people for the Lord was effective and that those genuinely converted under John's preaching, or for that matter, that of the Lord's disciples in John 4, 1 and 2, were not required to be immersed on Pentecost or afterward. Then he goes on to make eight points to suggest, or that help him to say, that he didn't believe that they did need to be reimmersed. Some of them were pretty insightful. Some of them, I'm not sure I could teach. He says, amongst those eight points, where is the evidence that anyone baptized by John was required to be immersed following Pentecost? Acts 19 surely does not demand that. Well, see, I think that's a matter of semantics. I think Acts 19, 1 through 6 is a clear-cut case of somebody who was baptized under John's baptism. Read it for yourself. I mean, it's in your own Bibles. We just Edison just read it to us. So I think that one, eh, I don't really agree with that point. Then he goes on to say, Again, he's still my brother. I ain't fighting with him. I just throwing all this stuff out there for you to consider because I was asked this question and asked to please preach on it. So I'm preaching on it. He goes on to say then, now listen carefully to the wording. Is there evidence that any of the original apostles were baptized on Pentecost or thereafter? If the baptism received at the hands of John was invalid after Pentecost, the Lord's apostles would have been as much obligated to Great Commission baptism as anyone else. He's absolutely right. What he says there is absolutely right. If... John's baptism, in all cases, was 
not sufficient, then the apostles would have had to have been baptized on Pentecost or beyond if John's wasn't sufficient. That's a true statement. Okay? And I always believed or always thought that, and I know the Bible doesn't say it, but because it doesn't say they were or they weren't, you kind of have to make a determination if you care to make a determination whether they were or not. So I always thought, well, yeah, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, surely, surely, the apostles had to be rebaptized with New Testament baptism. But, Brother Jackson doesn't appear to agree with that. Okay? And not only that, but not only does Brother Jackson not think that they had to be rebaptized, the apostles, just talking apostles right now, not the rest, just apostles. He didn't think the apostles or the rest of the disciples had to be. And he's not alone in that. In the question and answer section on the back page of the September 29th Gospel Minutes publication by Brother David Thurman, most of us get the Gospel Minutes either out here or in the mail, he apparently doesn't believe that they had to be rebaptized either on the day of Pentecost. And I thought, well, that's intriguing. So, this morning, in answering this question, let's just focus on just the apostles, not the rest of the disciples of John the Baptist, but let's just talk about the apostles for a few minutes in trying to ascertain whether or not they had to be baptized again, Acts 2 or thereafter. Okay? Open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Chapter 3, and we'll get there in a minute. The apostles only. It's all we're talking about right now. Just the apostles. In John chapter 1, you, if you read John 1, and I know I told you to turn to 3, you would find out that the apostles John and Andrew, John and Andrew both began... As, a, as disciples of John the Baptist. John the Apostle and Andrew the Apostle both began as disciples of John the Baptist. Therefore, it is logical to assume that both John and Andrew were baptized with the baptism of John. They were one of John's disciples. John would have baptized them. That would make sense because John was baptizing. Okay? A little later on in John chapter 3, verses 22 and 3, we would discover that Jesus' early disciples, many if not all of whom later became apostles, not only came and underwent the baptism of John, if they hadn't done so already, but they also helped administer the baptism of John. Look in John 3, beginning at verse 22. John 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Who came and were baptized? Jesus' disciples came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So... We read down through there, and again, those of John's disciples who had not yet been baptized apparently were at this point. Okay? If you move on to chapter 4 of John, verse 1, John 4, 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. 
Earlier on, when it says in John 3 that Jesus was baptizing, it was by proxy. His disciples were, because he clears up in John 4. Jesus himself wasn't actually doing it, but his disciples were. So, Jesus' disciples, at least two of whom were earlier disciples of John the Baptist, come where John the Baptist is baptizing to be baptized by him, and they begin baptizing with John's baptism as well. That is what we learn in John 3, 22 and 3, in chapter 4, 1 through 3. Now, with Jesus' disciples coming and submitting to John's baptism, those that hadn't previously, okay? By submitting to John's baptism, many of these disciples of Jesus, who would later become apostles, what exactly had they done? Well, they had met the requirements that John's baptism and Christian baptism have in common. In other words, they had apparently believed the message, they had confessed, repented, buried in water, because John's baptism and Christian baptism both were for the forgiveness of sin. So they had done these things by being baptized by John. Okay? At this point, what New Testament baptism requirements had these disciples, who would later become apostles, not met? What had they not met by being baptized in John's baptism? Well, John's baptism was for the Jews, they were Jewish. Even though Christian baptism was for the whole world, theirs was for Jews, they were Jewish, so that cancels out number one under Christian. Number two, by undergoing John's baptism, these who would later become apostles believed in Jesus, the one to come later. But they also received, uh, they also believed in Jesus and they would live both before he died for them and after. So that cancels number two. The three things they had not done at this point by submitting to John's baptism was they had not been baptized in Christ's name. Number three. They had not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fourth one, and they had not been added to the Lord's body or church as seen in Acts 2, apparently, because the church didn't come into effect yet. So these last three, by being baptized with John's baptism, they had not met those final three requirements, but they had met the first two. You with me so far? Okay. Trying to go slow because I've had weeks to get this together. <laughs> All right. Now... As to this one called for them to believe in the one to come after him and called us to believe in the one who already came and died, uh, thywordistruth.com says the difference between baptism before and after the cross is only a matter of vantage point, and that's a good way of saying that. So, as we look at this, please turn in your Bibles to John 20, if you would. John chapter 20. And what we're going to be discussing is these last three. Okay? Because again, by these who would later become apostles submitting to John's baptism, for these two reasons here, they had been these had been taken care of. But it had not been in Christ's name, they had not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we've got that third and final one about the Lord's church. They had not gotten those by being baptized by John. But in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19, after Jesus' resurrection, it says this. John 20, beginning at verse 19. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. This is after his resurrection on Sunday. Okay? When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, watch this, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Then, of course, we know... Without turning there, that shortly thereafter, Jesus' apostles, the apostles, are gathered together on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, Acts 2, 1 through 4, where they receive the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, from John 20, verses 19 through 23... Putting that together with Acts 2, 1 through 4, it appears, at least to me, that Jesus, by his own authority, right here in Acts chapter 20, 19 through 23, he breathed on the apostles and he gave them the Holy Spirit. Is that true? Does it say that? Yes, it does. It says, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that had to be the non-miraculous level because they didn't get the miraculous level until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. So in John 20, they received the non-miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit or gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 1 through 4, they received the miraculous gift. Hence, the apostles had already been baptized or immersed for the forgiveness of their sins by John. John chapter 3. And they had also received the Holy Spirit, Acts 20, 19-23, in non-miraculous, as well as Acts 2, 1-4, miraculous message, all before Peter preached the first gospel sermon. Is that true? You see that? That's all prior to Peter preaching the first gospel sermon. They'd been immersed. They had received the Holy Spirit, miraculous, non-miraculous, prior to Pentecost. And so it would appear that the apostles, perhaps, might not have had to be rebaptized on the day of Pentecost like I previously thought, because they had met all the requirements of both John's and New Testament Christian baptism before that first sermon was preached. And you say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, we had three. Okay, so in John chapter 20, they received the Holy Spirit, but that wasn't in Christ's name. Well, it was certainly by his authority, because he's the one that came back as the resurrected Christ and breathed on them. So by his authority, even though they were not baptized in his name, they are given the Holy Spirit in his name by his authority. So they've come real close to meeting two of them, again, a matter of semantics. And you say, well, wait a minute. They couldn't have been added to the church here in John chapter 19 because the church didn't come into existence until Acts chapter 2. And I understand the church did not come into existence until Acts 2. I get that. But consider this. What does the word church mean? 
It says in Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. But think about the Greek word for church for a minute. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. We know that. We know what it means. It means the called out. But in Acts 19, verses 32 through 41, ecclesia is the same exact term, this called out assembly, that's used of a riotous crowd. Isn't it? It is. So ecclesia can mean any called out assembly, any group that is not the norm. Brother Wayne Jackson says this, about Acts 2. And I know I'm giving you a lot of information. Get the CD if you need it and restudy this. Brother Jackson says this. As Peter and the other apostles proclaimed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, Luke says, They then that received his word were baptized, and there were added in that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2 and verse 41. The term added renders a Greek word which signifies to add to something that is already present or exists. Think about that. I've always wondered about that, and I've never really had an answer, but it does say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, and the Lord added. And that word means to add to something that already exists. You say, wait a minute, the church didn't already exist. But a group of God's people who had been baptized and had received the Holy Spirit, a group of faithful, sincere disciples did already exist in the twelve apostles. Is that not true? And so, in Acts 2 and verse 41, when it talks about there were added in that day about 3,000 souls, those 3,000 souls were added to something. They would be added to something that already exists. That Greek term means to add to something that already exists. It is the view of many scholars that the language of Acts 2.41 suggests that the 3,000 represents the sum of those immersed in Jerusalem that day and that they were added to what was already a group of God's people. They were added to something. I mean, it doesn't say that, that it just started. They were added to something. They were added to a sincere group of God's people who had already met those requirements. Is the only way that you can really see that. Now, he goes on to say, well, that just means that they were added to both the apostles and the rest of the disciples because none of them had to be rebaptized. I can't go that far. I really am not convinced because of Acts 19, 1 through 5, that... All of those people who were baptized under John's baptism were okay, and that, that added to means added to them. For me, that's a stretch, but that's just me. Surely some of those devoutly religious Jews who were there on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 must have been baptized by John. If they were that devout and religious on the day of Pentecost, that they're there in Acts 2, and they're that devout, surely some of them had to have listened to the preaching of John, I would think, and already been baptized by him. But... All of them there that day in Acts 2 had to undergo Christian baptism. So when it comes to the apostles themselves and only them to begin with, how do we answer the question, did the apostles need to be rebaptized with New Testament baptism on the day of Pentecost? Here's the answer. You answer that any way you want. Because the Bible don't say. There is no passage that specifically says they were there's no passage that specifically says they were not. I've given you all the information I can find on it. Deal with it. 
Because I can't answer it. Definitively. Now, we can toss it around, we can have our own opinion, but we can't really prove it 100% either way. And therefore, we must understand amongst ourselves that it can become one of those foolish and ignorant disputes that generate strife, and we definitely need to avoid that. 2 Timothy 2.23. We're entitled to our opinions, we can make it work, but it's not, worth, it's not something worth falling on your sword over, whether or not the, the apostles had to be rebaptized. So, that brings us to the big question that I was asked, did those disciples who were not apostles, who had been baptized with John's baptism, need to be rebaptized again? Did they? Let me give you some facts to consider as you seek to form your own personal answer to that question. Fact number one, as you seek to formulate your answer in your mind. Fact number one, in Acts 2, verses 38 through 41, every one of those present whether they had been baptized previously by John or not, who wanted God's promise of the remission of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, period. That we do know. Because if you read Acts 2.38-41, through 41, that's what it says, and I have emboldened the words out of it. He said, this promise is for all of you. Your children, for all who are far off. If they wanted what Christian baptism promised, then whether they had been, whether they were devout Jews who had been baptized by John or not, they had to undergo Christian baptism. That's fact number one. Fact number two. In Acts 19, 1 through 5, it is absolutely undeniable that those disciples who had previously only been baptized into John's baptism had to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a fact. Read it yourself. Acts 19, 1 through 5. Fact number three, in answer to the question, did those disciples who were not apostles, who had been baptized with John's baptism, need to be baptized again? The answer is, doesn't matter. Now I know that may not satisfy some people's curiosity, but it doesn't matter. And here's why it doesn't matter. Here's why. Watch this. Because it doesn't apply to anybody today. That's why. It doesn't apply. The answer, no matter which way you answer that question, it has got no bearing on anything today because we don't have that situation today. Number one, who was John's baptism for? It was for the Jews, right? Turn to me in your Bibles to Acts 13. Acts 13, please. In Acts 13, beginning at verse 23, it says this. Paul is relating the story, okay? Relating the scriptures, telling the story. He's talking about Jesus here, and he says in Acts 13, 23, from this man's seed, obviously talking about Jesus, according to the promise, God raised up... I'm sorry, no, he's talking about Abraham. My mistake, I'm sorry. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now... The people of Israel, in verse 24, is the same as the family of Abraham, verse 26. Look in verse 26, family of Abraham. It is the same as the children of the fathers, in verses 32 and 33. So my question is this, can anybody today trace their Jewish lineage back beyond 70 AD to Abraham, can they? Not a single one. But that's who John's baptism was for. We don't have any of those people alive today who can trace their lineage back that far. 
So, this doesn't apply. There's nobody around today that this applies to. Even the Jews can't trace their lineage back to Abraham today. Because past 70 AD, the records were destroyed. And number two, John's baptism also called for them to believe in the one to come after him. Nobody's going to be baptized today looking forward to another Savior coming other than Jesus, are they? No, Jesus already... So, there's, there's nobody around today that John's baptism can possibly apply to. So, it doesn't matter how you want to answer that question. Now, we'll say, well, wait a minute. We got Baptists that come in, and they're not baptized for the right reasons, and we tell them they need to be baptized with Christian baptism. Uh-huh, we do. And yeah, they do. But hear this. It's not because they were baptized with John's baptism, because number one, they weren't baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They believed they were baptized because their sins had already been forgiven. Baptists and denominationalists were not baptized with John's baptism. They weren't baptized taking their lineage back to Abraham. They weren't baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And today's denominationalist was not baptized looking forward to one to come to forgive them. Because even they look back to Jesus. So then nobody today was baptized with John's baptism. So it doesn't matter to us if they had to be redone or not. But I'll tell you what does matter. You see, we don't tell denominationalists they need to be rebaptized. Because they were baptized with John's baptism. We tell them they need to be rebaptized because they were not baptized the way the Bible says you gotta be. That's why. We use the precedent from Acts 19, 1 through 5, saying people have got to be baptized for the right reason, but we do not use John's baptism as the reason. Because you see, what does matter to us today, in fact, it is a matter of eternal life and death, is that there is one and only one baptism that is the vital, essential, and soul-saving New Testament Christian baptism which Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And when Paul wrote to the churches of Christ in Ephesus, he said, there's one baptism. There's one. Let me ask you a question. In the days of the apostles, were there different faiths? Yeah, there was the Jewish faith, there was false god faiths. How many faiths did God say there was in Ephesians 4? But wait a minute, there are all kinds of different faiths. Yeah, but God only recognizes one. There may have been all kinds of different baptisms, but how many does God recognize? Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Period. And the fact is that if people are not baptized in this baptism, they're not saved. That's why we tell denominationalists they need to be baptized for the right reasons. The Acts 2 baptism is a baptism which is a burial or immersion in water. This is a biblical baptism. It is in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 2. That one baptism that God recognizes... Christian baptism requires belief, repentance, confession, and obedience. That one baptism of the New Testament, which everyone must undergo or they're not saved because God said it's that one that saves you. 
is specifically for the forgiveness of one's sins and not for any other reason regarding sins. Not because they've already been forgiven. Not because you've already made changes. Not because of anything other than for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 38. In case you can't see it, that says Acts 2 and verse 38 right there. This one baptism is the point at which penitent sinners are washed, cleansed, and saved by the blood of Jesus and receive the non-miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit and they are added by God to His Son's church or group. 1 Peter 3.21 And so for today and for all eternity the only question about baptism that is truly going to matter is this. Did you believe and trust and have enough faith in what God said to humble yourself and accept and obey His righteous requirements connected to and found in that one New Testament baptism period? Doesn't matter if the apostles had to be redone or not. Doesn't matter if those under John's baptism had to be or not. We're not dealing with those things. What we are dealing with today is the one baptism of the New Testament. And if people have not done that, they are not saved. Because that's what God said. If you have not undergone that one, then no matter how many other baptisms... They call it baptizing when they're sprinkling babies. That's not baptism, but that's what they call it. Whether it's a baby or for any other reason. If you have not undergone this one, then no matter how many others you have gone, undergone, for whatever reasons or in whosever name you've undergone them, then you are not saved according to God. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In order to go through something... You got to get in it. If you're going to go through a tunnel, you got to get in the tunnel. If you're going to go uh, through anything, you've got to get in it. You've got to be in it in order to go through it. Well, in order to be in it, you've got to get into it. Galatians 3 and Romans 6 both tell us that we are baptized into Christ. That's how we get in Christ. Once we're in Christ, we can go through Christ to heaven. But we can't go through Him unless we're in Him, and we can't be in Him unless we get into Him, and we can't be, get into Him unless we're baptized into Him, because that's what the Bible says. Ephesians 4, 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Acts 2.38-41 tells us that we've got to undergo that baptism. Maybe you're somebody here today who has never been baptized to have your sins washed away. You've never repented. You've been baptized a hundred different times in a hundred different names for a hundred different reasons, but never the one we've talked about today. The one we're talking about today is God's. When Saul of Tarsus was convicted that he was right even when he was wrong. He spent three days without food or water. He was praying and Ananias went to him and in Acts 22 and verse 16 he told him he had to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. If you have not obeyed the gospel then you need to obey the gospel by being baptized today. And if you haven't done it for the right reason then as far as God's concerned you haven't done it. 
If you're here this morning and you would do that, or if you were baptized for the right reason, but Revelation 2 and verse 10 down here, you're not living as you ought to be. You haven't truly put that old man of pride to death or whatever it may be. If there's any other way we can help you, because baptism's just the beginning. If you're not living that new life, then you just got wet. If we can help you this morning in any way, please come to the front as we stand and sing.